Welcome to Glasgow Evangelicals Podcast. Thanks for listening with us today. Our hope is that today's sermon equips you to live the gospel joyously. Come along with us as we learn to live the gospel together. Well, before I, before I jump into it, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to introduce my family. I have a habit of forgetting to talk about my family a little bit. And so people like, get done sometimes at the end, and then people say, well, you didn't tell us about your wife and kids. So I've made a habit to, to not forget to do that. I've made a habit to talk about them right off the bat. And so some of you may know me. Some of you probably don't. I'm Jonathan Long. Uh, I serve with One Mission Society in the country of Hungary, in the capital city of Budapest. And I serve there with my family. So that's my wife there to my right. That's Corinne. Uh, she, is, uh, she keeps me organized, keeps everything going. She's probably the reason I'm not homeless. Um, next to her is my son, Carter. He is uh, 14 years old, just turned 14 last week. And he's currently building uh, a computer. So he's a whole lot smarter than I am. Uh, in front is Grant. And Grant is just about the sweetest kid you will ever meet. Um, our son Grant, he's, he's high-functioning autistic. Uh, he does really, really well. But he's very, very proper for some reason. We're not sure how he got it. Um, because this is none of us, but sometimes he'll come up and say things like, Father, I would like to tell you something. I appreciate you. And, and you're like, where does it, you know, the rest of the kids are like, Dad, I love you. You know, my daughter anyway. Carter's like, what? Okay. But uh, Carter's at that age now where every time you ask him anything, you just get an emphatic response. What? What do you need? Um, teenagers. And then my daughter, Noemi, and Noemi has the classic third child, a bit of a clown, very, very funny. And so she kind of keeps our family uh, cracking up and laughing. And so that is my family. We serve uh, together in hunger. And I say together because when you're in a, a missionary environment, when you're serving overseas as a family, you really are all involved. And so all of my kids are involved in various aspects of what we do, and they're very much affected by, by what we do. And, and I absolutely love the fact that as a family, we are united in uh, what we do. And so there's my family. I want to express some appreciation right off the top for this church in general. I have a lot of good memories here. I remember starting out over there and then you guys built over here and it is really encouraging just to see the growth in the church. It's encouraging just to come back and to be able to visit. But this church, probably more than a lot of our churches, has more to do with us uh, being successful in what we do in ministry from the financial support to the prayer support and encouragement. Um, some years ago, I was here, and I was in the back eating, and, uh, as, as I often do after, after speaking. And um, somebody came up to me and opened up a Bible and took out a prayer card that was shot in 1991 and said, this is a prayer card that I've had in my Bible since 1991. And I'm just impressed they still have the Bible from 1991. But to be praying for our family every day uh, is incredibly humbling. And so I, I desperately appreciate the support that we've had from, from Glasgow. Uh, my family misses Montana badly. Um, I, I can tell you, now that I'm getting older, I look back and I realize all the ways that Montana has affected my family. Uh, in English camp this last year, I spent 10 minutes trying to explain you betcha to a bunch of Hungarian kids. They, they couldn't get it because these kids, they have teachers that were trained in Britain, and so they're like, oh, there's no such thing as you betcha. And it's like, yeah, it's, 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 it's you betcha. They're like, what is betcha? So like, oh, it's kind of like bet your, you know, it, it just combined. And they said, well, you bet your what? And I said, well, you personalize it. It's whatever, whatever. You, you just say, you betcha. 
And usually they tell me, you can't make up words. And that's usually when I remind them that we did fight a war and we were successful, so we get to make up words that we want to use. <laughs> and so, so I, I, explained, I explained you betcha, and eventually I had a couple kids that were following me around using it, which was a lot of fun hearing Hungarian kids try to use it. I have a lot of memories in this area. I know Mickey Whitlow passed away a while ago now, but I remember in his basement, Mickey Whitlow had an exercise machine like no other. Back in the day, they used to be able to put exercise on anything and sell it. And he had an exercise machine that was an electronic motor and it had a giant leather strap that would go around your midsection. And presumably this was, if you were a person of fairly good girth, presumably it would shake you pretty good and somehow the fat would just shake off into the environment or something. But when you're 4'11 and barely 100 pounds, that thing's like getting hit by an F5 tornado. And my brother and I used to take turns daring each other, getting in that thing, strapping around and letting it go on full blast. And uh, I'm surprised I don't have back problems today, but uh, lots of memories playing at his bowling alley in Scobie. A lot of memories here. I remember shooting my first deer out near Absorky on Everett Bears Ranch near Reed Point. And let me tell you what, if you like deer hunting, I'll give you a piece of advice. Never leave. Uh, when you grow up in Montana and you hunt animals here, it's like driving a Ferrari in driver's ed. This is as good as it'll ever be, right? And then you move back east and you inherit your grandma's 86 busted up Ford Tempo. And it's, it's, I tell you what, it's so disappointing to spend three days in the woods you don't even see. I thought deer hunting was like shooting cows. Like you just went out, you pick the one you want, and you go with it. But that's just Montana. Not too long ago, my brother and I were talking, we realized that half of the jokes that we know are about North Dakota. <laughs> and let me tell you, there is, there is a very, very minimal audience for North Dakota jokes. You guys get it, but I actually told someone in Hungry North Dakota joke and they totally went past him at first. I thought it went past him. And they said to me, they said, okay, Jonathan, let me get this straight. You're saying there is a state line. Yeah, yeah, there's a state line, what's it? And you're suggesting that the people that live on one side of the state line are less intelligent than the people that live on the other side of the state line. That's basically the gist of it. I, I, don't, I, I understand why you don't get it. He says, no, no, we have border with Romania. We totally get it, yes, we know, we know what it's like. If you've been to Romania, you, yes, there you, Romanians are your North Dakotans, yes. So, so I, I honestly, I've had two dreams where I came back to Billings and I bought the house we lived in. It's weird, Montana lingers on us. Well, I'm excited to be here for Harvest Festival. Truth be told, I've always had a bit of farmer's envy. I don't think there's anything more natural probably than planting seed in the ground and then raising it up and feeding people with it. Some years ago, I was at a Zervi's farm and I got to ride in the big yellow combine. And I tell you what, combines are not what they used to be. They've totally changed. This thing was full of all kinds of technology. You could harvest grain, make a cappuccino, and call it an airstrike, all from your combine. It was, it was amazing. And you could look out the back window, and you could see the grain coming into the combine. And you could, you could literally see the, the, the effort, your effort, your sweat, your, 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 what you were trying to do coming right into your machine. And I think that's, that is exceedingly cool. And I know maybe in my head it's a little bit romanticized, but just the process of plowing, planting, irrigating, and then someday, after a reasonable amount of time, being able to cut that thing and know that you're feeding people. I don't know, like in my head, that's, that's really cool.
And there's a lot of correlations between missions and farming, right? We see a lot of examples in the Bible where, where uh, the authors draw these correlations between the physical process of plowing and planting and watering to the spiritual process of plowing and planting and watering. And so at the end of the day, maybe it's just that as a missionary, this is the way that I engage in harvest because I would probably kill a farm really fast. But I actually, I think I'm a pretty decent missionary. And so today I'm going to talk about harvest, but I'm going to talk about a different kind of harvest. Now, um, I saw recently the podcasts. I see you guys, you guys are podcasting. I, I know that every Sunday you get good sermons here, and so I decided as I prayed about what to share with you that I'm not going to, to deliver just a, a sermon to you this morning because I know that you get those, but really what I want to do is just tell you a story of harvest uh, what we're doing, what our vision is, and what's going on in Hungary, so that you know, and, as, and I would ask that, that as you pay attention, please be praying for these things, because all of these things are in process now. And so, um, what I'd like to do is talk a little bit about our vision in Hungary. Um, where we're going what God has placed in our heart, how he's been leading us. And then I'm going to jump into the growth process. I'm going to talk about some of the seeds that we've planted and some of the harvest that we've seen from those. And then I want to talk about the future and some of the coming changes to our ministry personally and to the ministry of what's going on in Hungary. Now, when I went to Hungary, I'm a big believer that you don't necessarily have to replace everything, that as missionaries, we're called to fill in the cracks. See, Europe sent missionaries here, Right? In other places of the world, we're going to places of the world where there's, they've never heard the gospel. We're going to places in jungles and Africa and South America and all these places. But when we go to Europe in missions, we're actually going back to where it came from for us. And so for a lot of us, we're, we're uh, descended from Germans and uh, British people and Norwegians. And, and so we understand that, that a lot of our faith and a lot of way we understand that traveled here with missionaries from Europe. And so as I look at the ministry, I look at what God has done over thousands of years in Europe, and I step back and I evaluate. We don't have to build the whole system. What we have to do is understand what's not working, right? If you had a combine that wasn't running, you wouldn't just push it into the river. You would find out what's not working in that combine, and you would fix it. And so that's what we've been trying to do. But we were faced with this question early on, which is the church in Hungary dead? And you understand what I mean by dead. I mean, it's not, it's not reproducing. There's no life in it. It's, it's becoming stale and, and irrelevant. And it depends on who you ask. If you ask Hungarians, what they'll tell you, and here is St. Matthias Church, 800-year-old church that sits on top of Budapest. I pass it often. If you ask the Hungarians, they would point to 1,000 years of history. They were founded on the millennium in 1,000 AD as a Christian country. And they have huge buildings like this to show for it. And they would point to their Christian identity. They see themselves as culturally Christian defenders of Europe. And lately it's kind of gotten them in trouble a little bit. And they would say, see, this is, this is the example of that the church is very much alive. But to be honest with you, the, this church stays in business because it's a museum. You can, you can go and you can pay money and you can go in and visit. And it's absolutely beautiful. But a lot of these churches, they're not vibrant. They're not alive. If you ask, I'll leave it there. If you ask the missionaries, the missionaries will tell you about how difficult hungry is, about, about trying to connect with people that already have concepts in their head about what it means to be a believer and what it means to be a Christian. That, that if my grandfather was Catholic and I say that I'm Catholic, I'm done. 
and, and I can just live my life and do what I want. It doesn't actually matter if I follow Jesus or even pray or read my Bible or anything. And so they would tell you about uh, difficult, difficult work. Um, but I'll be honest with you, I have a policy on our field, and that policy is no whining. And so we passed a rule in, in, on the hungry team that you never complain about hungry. We don't complain about the culture. We don't complain about the difficulty because it's on us. It's on us. We're coming to hungry to reach people, so it's on us. And so it's, it's, a, it's a little bit different. It's hard sometimes, though, when you hear reports from Zambia or Madagascar. I heard a pastor once uh, from Madagascar. He said, we can't print Bibles fast enough. Just everybody wants one. And you listen to that, and it's, it's hard not to take a little bit of time and be like, wow, wouldn't that be great? Um, but God didn't call me to Madagascar. Last time I was here, I mentioned uh, ministries that we partner with to reach people. I talked about farm pro micro farm programs. I talked about camps and clubs. I talked about a variety of ministries that we're doing. And, and we are doing those ministries, but one of the things that we discovered about is as we tried to partner with all of these churches and give them a vision for connecting with their community, one of the things that we discovered was they, they were more than happy for us to come in and do it. But they really struggled uh, with the idea of getting motivated and having a vision for mission, having a vision for getting out and getting involved and getting active. And we started realizing that while we were seeing harvest in what we were doing, it was harvest out of our effort. It wasn't harvest out of the kingdom of God and Hungary coming together and to make it happen. And too often in Hungary, they just see the church as the pastor's job and missions as the missionary's job. And for the people that sit there in the pews every day, it's just not, it's not for them. And so I was plagued by this question. Now, I was in Manchester, England, nice place. And I was there for a conference and I was sitting at a table and next to me at the dinner table, a lot of good stuff happens at the dinner table. I was sitting at the dinner table and next to me is this historian, a guy, a guy who, who had studied church history and a debate came up between this gentleman and somebody else on uh, John Wesley and the Methodist movement. And if you think about it, the Methodist movement came along at a time that was really, really uh, economically bad for, uh, for England. They were fighting wars all over the world, including here in the United States. And, and the gap between the poorest people and the richest people was as big as ever. People were, the miners were starving, the farmers were starving. And so they, they, uh, times were not good. And you had a church that was not terribly alive, and it was very bureaucratic, and, and it wasn't very engaged with, with much. And, and you have John Wesley in the middle of this, and he goes to Aldersgate, and while he's at Aldersgate, he experiences something he'd never experienced before. The Holy Spirit moved. And Wesley thought to himself, what was that? He called it the strange warming of my heart. And so, so Wesley would go on and he would launch a movement. And it wasn't a church planning movement. Wesley had no intention of founding the Methodist church. The whole idea was there's something deeper than just this cultural identity of Christianity. And we want to know what it is. And he created some organization. He was very good at that. He created some organization, and they had different levels. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it was a disciple-making movement. The whole focus on it was to make disciples. And so while I was sitting there listening, uh, listening to this guy talk, and he was explaining the situation, I began to realize that in Hungary, the problem is that we don't have enough disciples. We have believers. 
To me, a believer is somebody that has accepted the good news of the gospel. They have come to know Jesus Christ. They have been forgiven of their sins. But as far as their growth and as far as their maturation and their becoming like Jesus, it, it stopped there. And we have a church that's chock full of believers, but what we don't have is disciples. And the problem is it's disciples that multiply. And so we have too many people who are in church that don't think that missions, that don't think that multiplication, that don't think that growing the church is their responsibility. They're more than fine just putting in their one or two Sundays a month, and that's where it ends. And I, w- I, was, I was praying about this one night, and I flipped open in my Bible, and as often Jesus does, he just kind of directed my eyes, and I came across Hebrews 5, 12 to 14. By now you should be teachers, but instead you need somebody to teach you, again, the first things you need to know from God's word. You still need milk instead of solid food. Anyone who lives on milk cannot understand the teaching about being right or with God. Is a baby. Solid food is for full-grown men. They have learned to use their minds to tell the difference between good and bad. And so I realized that well, this, is the, this is the issue in Hungary, where the, the, where the machine isn't working, where the kingdom of God is not working, is at this issue of disciples. If I go out and I do effective evangelism and I reach people, I need churches to connect with, to partner with, that are making disciples in their churches. And so I, I went back to Hungary and I started sitting down with pastors. And the first pastor I sat down with, I said, you know, we've talked about evangelism in the past. I want to ask you a question. What are you doing with discipleship? And he looked at me all of a sudden and he said, I don't know. He said, I'm going to be honest with you, man. Just this last month, I had people that left our church, and when they left, they pointed their finger at me, and they said, you're not helping us grow deeper. He said, I I don't know what to do about it. I was really surprised by that. So I went to to talk to another pastor, and I asked the next pastor, what are you doing about discipleship? And he said, nothing, Just just to be honest with you, nothing. We're not good at helping people grow. And so I went and I spent some time uh, with um, a good friend of mine and I whiteboarded this out on the process and I said, look, evangelism leads to believers. Discipleship leads to multiplication. Multiplication leads to church planning. Church planning leads to mission sending movements. I said, what do you think of this concept? Now this is a pastor in Hungary's second oldest church, okay? And he said to me, he, he looked at it for like 30 seconds and you have to understand, I don't like silence. I talk a lot. I do not like silence. When I ask a question, I like an answer. And I asked him this question. He sat there for 30 seconds. And while I'm waiting for him to, to talk, I'm sitting there thinking, did he not understand what I said? Do I need to say something? Should I come in here? And then finally he goes, Jonathan, listen. Six years in Bible school and of seminary, I didn't have a single lecture on evangelism. I didn't have a single lecture on discipleship. We don't know how to do this. I started looking for discipling books and discipleship books and how you mature believers in Hungary. And I started discovering that they just simply don't exist. They, they just don't. You can go into a Christian bookstore. They do not have a book on disciple making. They do not have a book on evangelism in Hungarian. They have books on high theology. And that's good. But they don't have books on practically help, how you help somebody come to know Jesus and then grow into a mature believer. So this is, this is a challenge. But here's, what I, here's why I'm so excited. I'm going, to be exci- I'm going to be honest with you. I am absolutely excited this morning because there is an opportunity for something tremendous to go on. I believe that there is an opportunity for a movement in Hungary, and here's why. 
when I was talking with the pastors, I began to ask them, can you tell me who in your church is desperate to grow deeper with their relationship with Jesus? And they said, yeah. I said, no, seriously, can you put it down on a piece of paper, names? They said, sure. I said, okay. And they would give me the names, and I would say, okay, how many people come to your church on a Sunday morning? And they would give me that number. And in every situation, it was between 20 to 22% of their church. Now, when I was in business school, one of the things we studied was movement. And we studied what makes a movement. You know, we talk a lot about movement. Everybody says we have a movement. But what really is a movement? A movement is, is when something creates its own gravity, when you don't have to push it anymore, but it just, it's going and it's spreading organically. And we want to see church planning movements and disciple making movements and all of these movements. But how do you know that you're, you can have a movement? And what we studied was what percentage of a group of people have to consider something or embrace something before movement is possible. You put 100 people in a room and everybody's facing north. Basically, how many of those people have to turn east before the majority of the people in the room will notice that somebody has turned and evaluate it? And what I discovered looking at this was that the answer is actually 15 to 18%. If 15 to 18% of people will do something, the majority realizes it and has to evaluate it. And I realized that we have 20 to 22% of people in churches right now, people that are desperate to grow, people that we need for evangelism and disciple making and church planning. And they're hungry for something they're not given, something they're not equipped to do. And I realized that the church is not dead and hungry. What a silly idea anyways. God's not going to let his church die. But the church isn't dead and hungry. The church is just ill-equipped. They're not prepared to be doing what they need to be doing in the kingdom of God. They were never equipped in, in Bible school, and they haven't been equipped s since. And so we set, we set back, and I began, to talk to, um, I began to talk to some of our pastors that we were working with and the relationships that we built, and we set a goal of 20% of every partnering church in disciple-making. This means that they are being taught. This means that they're meeting in groups, single gender, three to six, every week. They study the Bible together. They pray for the lost together. They encourage each other. They confess to each other. What a, I'll be honest with you. One thing I think we've kind of lost a little bit is this confession. You know, Jesus says, you know, confess your sins to one another. Why? So that you may be healed. And so, so this is our vision. 20% of every partnering church into disciple making. Because if we believe that 20% of every church is meeting together, worshiping together, studying together, growing together every week, that what we will see is the church itself is going to be changed into transform. What we believe is that people will grow to a place of maturity and at that point they will begin multiplying themselves. And that's what we want to see. Because I believe the best person to reach a Hungarian is a Hungarian. I can go out onto the street as a missionary. I can connect with people. I can share the gospel. But you know what? I can't connect to their network. People say that everybody has 30 people that they know deeply. Right? I can't, I can't reach those 30 people, but they can. And if we can prepare and equip Hungarians to grow deeper in their faith and equip them to have how to share their faith with others and what discipleship looks like, we believe that we will see a, a rapid movement take place for discipleships. But for this to occur, for the change we want to see to occur in Hungary, for the community to be impacted in Hungary, it starts with the church. We have to get serious. We have to be about making disciples. 
And so this is our vision, 20% of every partnering church in disciple-making. Now, um, we've actually discovered that disciple-making leads to growth, and it actually leads to growth pretty quickly. Uh, I gotta be honest with you, I came across a a book that a friend of mine had put together. It was a very simple disciple-making process that comes actually from the Methodist movement. And um, I took 10 copies back to Hungary in English, and I gave them away to my friends, my English-speaking pastors who were friends of mine. And I asked him, I said, tell me, if you would be so kind, please tell me what you think of this. And little did I know that not only did they get so excited about the idea of planning discipleship groups and, and, and helping each other to grow, that they ran off. And when I came back and checked in on them, there were already 10 disciple-making groups going that had been meeting for the last three months, every week, praying, reading the Bible together, encouraging each other, holding each other accountable. And, and not only were there already 10 groups meeting, which in Hungary, by the way, that's like rapid movement. Not only were there 10 groups meeting, but they already had change stories. They told me about one lady who was coming, who was, who was an alcoholic, who had experienced defeat in, in her struggle with alcoholism for years, and she found this group, and, and she, was, she was meeting with them every, every week, and she was studying her Bible, and she was praying, and, and she was being held accountable, and she asked the group, hold me accountable for this, and the group started holding accountable. Well, and she said, I, I'm, not, I'm not going to tell you yet that I've, I can declare victory in my life, but she said, what I'll tell you is I have never had this strength to fight. There was another gentleman who, who had been unemployed for two years. Two years he had been unemployed, and he had kind of been on the fringe of the church, not really involved, and one person said, hey, why don't you come be in my disciple-making group? And so they got together in their disciple-making group, and they started studying the Word, and they started praying together, and on the third, on the third time they met, they got together, and he said, guys, I've been unemployed for two years. I can't provide for my family. I feel really bad. Would you all commit to praying for me every week that I would get a job? Two weeks later, he had a job out of the blue. And so they started seeing this transformation and the pastors that I was meeting with who I didn't even expect to even be onto this yet were telling me, Jonathan, how soon can we, can we get all of this training in Hungarian? How, how soon can we begin to equip leaders that we have in the church for disciple making? I started getting calls from churches I had never connected with. It was exciting. We had a, we had a group of, of uh, two Pakistanis and two Syrians that had come to know the Lord in Hungary. They were meeting together in a group. They had meeting for three weeks, and one of my partners is their, is their group leader, and they'd been studying the Word together. And after three months of meeting together, they got together, and the, the older gentleman, he's about 45 in the group, he's from Pakistan, he was telling my partner, Ed, he said, you know, every week we pray for the lost. He said, this is the problem I've discovered, is that when I pray for the lost, now I'm starting to feel like I have to do something about it. And he said to Ed, he said, Ed, how, how can I help reach these people I'm praying for? This is three months of disciple-making in Hungary. God begins to work. It's, it's bringing together the scripture of God, the word of God, the spirit of God, and the body of God together in such a way that you grow in your faith. And as you grow in your faith, your eyes turn outwards and you have this desire to impact people around you. And so one of the things we did in Hungary is we launched our disciple-making team with the goal of 20% of every partnering church. We launched our community impact team. And our community impact team says, as we help churches grow deeper, let's help equip them to grow wider, the evangelism piece. And we've been partnering with churches uh, now for a while to do this. We work with churches to evaluate what's going on in your community, what's going on in your church, what's, what's happening, what are the resources you have, what are the gifts that the people in your church have? What are the things that they know how to do? 
And, and we work towards equipping them for different types of ministries, everything from hospital visitation, English clubs and camps. Um, we, we're looking at prison visitation with one church. And there's all of these options where people in church are starting to come through the discipleship and they're starting to go, I want to be involved in ministry. And so now we have these opportunities to equip them. It's, it's, it's exciting, uh, to say the least. And so this is our vision for Hungry, 20% of every church. I want to tell you guys about two ministries. I want to shift now to growth. I want to shift and just show you what this looks like. One of the ministries that we've been doing since 1994 is English Camp. English Camp has been our biggest uh, evangelical outreach ministry. Uh, most of the kids, 90 plus percent of the kids that come are not churched. And so it really is an interesting time every time we do English camp. And back in the day, we started with one English camp. This summer, we plan on doing five. And, uh, and so we're excited uh, about the uh, growth of English camp. 30 to 40% of these kids, on average, come to us after camp and say, I want follow-up on Jesus. I want to talk to you more about Jesus. I want to know more. And so uh, one of the biggest changes that we made in English camp is we now partner with a local church. Every camp we do is partnered with a local church. And so um, I want to tell you two stories of, of students. Um, there's one student named Shadow. Now Shadow came to English camp last year too, so two years ago, and she was at this last English camp as well. And she is, for kind of uh, exhibits that sort of teenage attitude that I was talking about with my son. You know, she's just kind of always quiet and a little bit angsty. And, and she came back to camp this week, or this last summer, and, and for the first half of camp, her attitude was terrible. I mean, just really bad. And her conversation group leaders came to me, and they're like, we need to pray for this girl because something is wrong. And so we did. Every day for the first four days of camp, we were praying for this girl. Finally, on the fifth day of camp, that's where we have a big gospel presentation. The Hungarian pastor comes in and presents it in Hungarian. We don't want to risk translation errors. And, and all of a sudden, you know, they go to their meeting afterwards. They set up a circle and shout out. Literally, it's a, it's a circle. And she is like two feet outside of the circle in her chair, just stewing. And, and so finally, they begin to talk about what people thought about, about what the pastor had shared and the gospel presentation and everything. And then she blew up. And she grabbed her chair and she pulled it in the circle. And she goes, I just want to say, am I the only one here? that can't figure this out? She said, I came here last year. And she said, I gotta tell you, I'm a miserable person. I have no joy. I have no happiness. I have no hope for anything. And she said, my family doesn't either. And she said, I came to this camp last year and I saw people that didn't even know each other and they loved each other. And, and, and people, and they talk about God, but they don't talk about God like separation of God. They talk about God like they have a relationship with this God. And she said, they, they have peace and they have joy and they have happiness in their life. And I can't figure it out. That's the only reason I came back this year. My English isn't so bad. But I came back this year to figuring it out. And this, this is just, it's affecting me. And my conversation group leader, who for the four days had been praying for this girl, wondering why her attitude was so bad, came to me in tears and shared this story about what God had done. And, and, and he's breaking through to kids. We had another kid named Jofi. We, where we are, I have to lock up the building at the end of the night before we head back to our dormitories. And so I was locking up the building. And I had literally turned back to lock the building when somebody goes running past me into the dark in tears. And I was just completely caught off guard. And I sat there thinking, okay, this is one of those things where you got to be careful. You know, I'm like, 15-year-old girl just ran into the building. 
I'm a 40-year-old man. Where's our staff? I need somebody to go in and talk to her. You know, I don't want to go in by myself. And so, but just as I'm thinking all of this, I see her conversation group leader running down the sidewalk after her. And so I said, hey, do you need, and she cut me off. She goes, I got this. And she ran into the building. And they were in the dark. And so I'm outside waiting because I have to lock this thing up. And I'm outside waiting there and they're talking. And 15 minutes later, they kind of walk out arm in arm. And I decided not to ask about it then. And in the next, the next day, I called the conversation group leader over during one of our meetings. And I said, hey, can I ask a question? What was that about? I said, is she upset? Like, what happened? And she said, no. She said, what happened was that she began to, she saw our team and our ministry and everything all week long. And she saw the love that we have for each other and she saw something she was missing in her life. And then when the gospel was shared, she was just so overwhelmed by that that she couldn't, she couldn't even stay in the conversation group. She had to go into the, the hallway and, and cry. And I said, okay, when you went in, like, were you all right? And she goes, yeah. She goes, we sat there and we talked and I asked her if I could pray with her. And she said, yes, and, and we prayed together for about 10 minutes. And she said, when I got done, she looked at me and she said, that's the first time I've ever prayed. And that's the first time anybody's ever prayed for me. And so these are, these are the opportunities that we have. These are the opportunities that we have to see growth and investment. But it's not only in the students, to be honest with you. It's not only in the students. Let me tell you about staff members. We had a staff member named Laura that came up to me and said, I was so discouraged in my faith this last year, I thought about leaving the church. And she said, coming and being a part of your translation staff at camp has, has re-energized me. I had another staff member named Adrian who came to me after camp and she, she walked up and just out of nowhere and the whole group just hugged me big time. And she stopped and she said, the thing that you said about disciples and believers, she said, that is so true. And she said, I'm a believer. And this campus helped me to see I need to be a disciple. And this young lady is now leading up a follow-up with five young girls in Vats now, sharing the gospel and started a disciple group with teenagers. And so that's really exciting. But it doesn't even stop with just our native staff. We have had staff members come for camp from the United States who've literally returned to their churches and be baptized. We've had staff members, I'll show you this picture. This is our intern from last summer. Her dad works for Men for Missions. And we got to the end of the summertime and we were sitting there talking and I said to her, how's your internship been? She goes, good, you know, and we debriefed around it. And I said, is there anything else that we need to talk about? And she says, yes. And I said, what is it? And she says, I want you to baptize me. I said, you've not been baptized. She says, no, I was just waiting for the right time and everything and it was just in the course of my life. She goes, but I want to be baptized. And I said, you want me to do it? She said, yeah. And I said, here? She said, take me to the Balatone. This is Europe's largest freshwater lake. She said, I want to go to the Balatone here in Hungary and be baptized. And I thought immediately, man, if her dad, like, I mean, I, hopefully he's happy about baptizing her, but he could baptize her. You know, so I said to her, I said, okay, I'm happy to do it. Talk to your parents too, but I'm happy to do it. And so we went to the lake. Now, let me tell you what. This lake in Europe, in the hot summer, August, let's just say that the bathing suit requirements are a little bit different. Okay, and we walk out and we literally, this camera was taken from a great angle. We literally walk out into the lake and there are people partying and drinking beer and doing all kinds of stuff out in this lake. And we walk out into this lake and I baptized her and I baptized my son Grant. And we stood there right in the middle of all this party going on at the lake. And let me tell you what, there's nothing that'll kill a party faster in a lake than a baptism because they figured out what was going on. We all wander out there, and my team creates a circle around us. You can't see them. The other crossways was where the picture was. And we were sitting there talking, 
And, and you know, I, I went through the process of asking her to publicly affirm her faith, and we talked about it, and then I baptized her in the water. And it got so quiet, the people quit drinking. You could hear the wind blow across the lake. And I baptized both of our children there. And when, I, when we went to walk away, you saw the look. You know, people had just stopped and were watching what was going on. They didn't expect a baptism that day. And so our staff members, we have opportunities where we see the growth in the people. The people, it's so often in missions, you go to serve and you find out you're the one that walks away served the most. And so this is, this is the kind of growth opportunities that we see. And, and, and the pastor of the church that we partner with on our English camps, the ones that we do in Vats, he's the one I mentioned that had said that he is losing members because of a lack of disciple making. He, he has come to me and he has agreed to be on our lead team. We're going to try to steward this disciple-making movement. And he, he, as a pastor, has brought his church on board, and they're, they're uh, excited about, about what we're doing. I want to tell you about another ministry. This is a chapel in the village of St. Margate Falva. Most of the world, the vast majority of the world, has never heard of this village, St. Margaret's Village. It's in a heavily Catholic county in, in Hungary. It, it, is, it is literally uh, very, very rural, uh, it was kind of oil country initially, and now it's uh, timber country. They do a lot of uh, timber cutting. And uh, very forested area. When we first started building this chapel, um, I, I, I had a lady uh, that came up to me that said, uh, I'm Catholic. I said, okay, congratulations. And she said, uh, why are you building this here? And I said, well, because we believe God has given us an opportunity to build this for the, for the community and everything. And she said, yeah, but there's none of your kind here. And I was like, wow, okay, that's where we are. But I want to tell you the backstory because it's important. The superintendent of the Methodist Church in Hungary, I had asked him for a lunch and he had given me an appointment three months later. When somebody gives you an appointment three months later, that's the nicest way of saying, I don't want to talk to you. And so, so I created this appointment and, and we, we, we began to, to look at the, uh, I, I, I was waiting and trying to figure out how to connect with him. And I was, we're part of something called the Wesleyan Alliance and we have a Bible school and the Bible school is there at the church where their corporate offices are. And so the, the news came up that they needed to totally redo the library, which meant rebuilding bookshelves and everything. And I instantly went, hey, you know, we'll do that. And I didn't realize they're not used to the Americans volunteering for stuff. So I said, hey, we'll do it. And they said, great, we need 38 Ikea bookshelves. Y'all familiar with Ikea? Y'all heard of Ikea? This is, this is furniture that you buy and then put it together yourself. This is a brilliant business strategy. They sell you a box full of wood and then you build your own furniture. And it's kind of cool looking. But 38 of those things, we hauled them up to the fourth floor of this building and we spent, it took us three days building all these bookshelves. And on the second day, Lotsie, the superintendent, popped in. Jonathan, let's talk. And so we began talking, we began talking. On the third day, he says to me, are you free for lunch today? I said, sure. And now we went for lunch. And we began to talk some more, and we began to talk some more. And then I was in the United States for a meeting in Florida, and, and I got a text message. Jonathan, how'd you like to help us build a chapel? He had traded a Peugeot for a house in this village. A Peugeot's a car. He had traded a car for a house in this village. He had moved into the village, and he found out that for 50 years they had been trying to build a worship place in this village. Because in Hungary, if you have a place of worship, it's really important. So for 50 years, they tried to build this worship place, and it just wasn't, the government wouldn't let them do it. It wouldn't, it wouldn't happen. They had somebody to donate the land right in the middle of it, and, and it, was, it, was, uh, it was really exciting, but they needed help building it. And so for 20 grand, we repurposed a lot of stuff, and my dad came over, and my dad built, uh, helped to build this chapel. But it's been interesting watching what's going on in this village. 
On the third Sunday, Lotzi preached on the 12 disciples, and somebody came up to him on the porch afterwards and said, what does it take to become the 13th disciple? And they prayed together on the front porch of the chapel. Three weeks, three weeks in, somebody had a baby, and they went to the Catholic Church, and so they said to the Catholic Church, we'd like to have our baby uh, blessed. And the Catholic Church said, okay, that'll be $85. And they, they went to Lotzi, and they said, Lotzi, how much does your, charge, your church charge to, to dedicate a child? And Lotzi says, I'll do it for free. And I said, great. And now we have three babies that are about to be dedicated in the church. A couple that had never had a wedding. They got married in front of the justice of the peace. They'd never had a church wedding 20 years ago. Came to Lotzi and said, would you give us a church wedding? And they got married in our little bitty chapel. And all of a sudden, everybody in the county knows where it is and knows what's going on and knows what's going on about it. But through this relationship and this connection, we got connected with the public school, and then the public school said, we hear you do English camps. We said, yes, we do. And they said, would you come and do an English camp for us? And we said, yes, we will. And so we went down, and we did an English camp in their public school. And after camp every day, they would invite all the kids and all the parents to the chapel where we were working on it, the project. And we had 60 or 70 people every day that would come and stand around and talk and help and, and, and mill about. When we got done, that public school said, that's amazing what you've done here. We want you to come back and do it again next year. And then we got a call from the next public school over saying, would you come? And I didn't understand why it was taking on, but I talked to the principal at the first public school, and she said, let me tell you about this English camp. She said, these are the opportunities you get in the capital city. Our kids don't get these opportunities. And so this year we're going to do two English camps on both sides of this chapel. And uh, we're just excited that in the middle of heavily Catholic area in Hungary, we've planted, a, it's a Methodist church, and it is growing rapidly. I got sent a, a, one of my favorite things, I got sent a picture a while ago, I wish I could have found it, but it was a picture from a Bible study there, and I know the people in the village, and one of the coolest things when you're watching people in your, your, the church that you built studying the Bible is when you realize that guy's an alcoholic, that guy's an atheist, that couple's marriage is on the rocks, and they're in church, and they're studying the gospel together, and they're sharing, and they're connected. It's encouraging. So our team has four teams, disciple-making. We believe that change starts in the church when we get serious. And when we mature in our faith, God gives us a vision for the lost, and we, we begin to engage with that mission. Community impact. How do we look for real tangible opportunities to, to prepare these, believe, these disciples to go into their community and impact their community? How are we going to pay for this? Well, one of the problems we have right now is that we are completely dependent on um, U.S. dollars. And so what we are doing is uh, I have recruited a team. I have four individuals on my team who work on, with businesses missions. I have a professional baker. And I have two people that run a, that owned their own private preschool in the United States. And so the preschool is, uh, we are launching an English preschool in Hungary where we can do ministry to Hungarians and where, and where um, it'll present a revenue stream for our foundation. We have a goal in five years to be completely independent as a Hungarian foundation on U.S. dollars. We'll be completely Hungarian with businesses missions. And then lastly, a regional hub. We're developing a hub in Hungary to support the entire Eurasian Middle East region uh, with skills like communications and uh, disciple making and, and evangelism training and help. And uh, my wife's already the regional finance director and so a variety of skills. And so this, this is what our team looks like. This is my team. One of the exciting things about my team, I have the youngest team and the fastest growing team in OMS. We are 23, 24, 25, 25, 26, 28, 32, 40, 40, 40, 42, 58, and 60. 
And let me tell you, people talk about millennials and commitment and all of those types of things. All of my millennials but one is on a five-year term. So I'm excited. This is, this is the team that God has given us, and we continue to grow. And, and the girl that I mentioned that got baptized, that got baptized uh, she's just applied to come back when she finishes college and to join our team in Hungary. And so this is, this is our team. I absolutely love working with the young team, by the way. It's, it's tremendous. So this is what we do in Hungary. We have a goal of 20% of every church in disciple-making, equipped to share their faith and gospel with their influence, their circle of influence, equipped as a church to go out and make an impact within their community so that people will come to know Jesus, churches will be planted, and someday, Lord willing, I want to send Hungarian missionaries somewhere else. And so that's our plan. By the way, 20% of every church that has already agreed to be a part of this is 700 people. We have 700 people that we are hoping to train and equip in discipleship groups, equipped to do evangelism, equipped to go out and develop. Uh, we want to see their, them grow in their Christian character. We want to see them grow in their ability to share their faith and comfortability with it. And that's harvest. And we have harvest. I can give you lots of stories of people that have come to know Jesus, and that's great. But if 700 people next year shared their faith with one person successfully, that's what we mean by multiplication. We've never had results like that. And so on and so on and so forth. And so we are passionate about harvest, but we are passionate about harvest multiplied. Um, okay. Lastly, I would just like to say, uh, please be praying for my family. Uh, OMS has come to me recently and has asked me to transition into the role of the Europe and Middle East Regional Director. So I will be responsible for all of the teams in Europe and what we're doing. And uh, already a lot of what we're doing in Hungary is catching on throughout the region. And so we're excited about that. Um, I will be uh, basically, the, in the Middle East we have Israel, but basically traveling around Europe a good deal. And so please be praying for my family. My wife is incredibly supportive and we are excited. But God has given us an opportunity to take the harvest and to take the focus, the vision that we have, and to take it wider. And so we're really excited about that. Um, thanks to technology, there's a lot of ways that you guys can be connected. Uh, if you go to Facebook, The Long Lifeline, is our Facebook page, and we update it probably two or three times a week. There's another one I neglected to put up there, which is One Mission Hungary. That is our team Facebook page, and we also update that once a week, uh, at least once a week. We have a blog at our website. Every Thursday, we post a blog. So if you want to know what's going on in the ministry in Hungary and, and learn something, I actually am very proud of our blog. I think it's very good. Uh, please feel free to check that out. We have a quarterly newsletter. If you would like to receive it, I, there's out there with our materials that Bill mentioned earlier, there is a sign-up sheet for that, so please feel free to sign up. We'd be happy to send it to you. I have prayer cards out there, and so if you would like to uh, take home a generic photo of a good-looking family, uh, please feel free to do so. Um, I would appreciate your prayer. With my new responsibility and with the uh, increasing cost of my children's school, we are no longer close to being, well, we've never been fully funded. We've never, we're no longer close to being fully funded. And so we do need to um, raise support. So if you're evaluating increasing your giving to kingdom purposes this year, all I would ask is that you prayerfully consider us. But please definitely take a prayer card, stick it in your Bible. We would, we would desperately appreciate that. And um, I would just, uh, again, like to express my appreciation for you all. Because this harvest that I mentioned... It doesn't happen without you guys. This is your harvest. My goal is that someday you guys get to heaven and you meet all kinds of Hungarians that you didn't know. 
You didn't know that your financial support made it possible for them to hear about Jesus and to grow in their faith. You didn't know that your prayers were what was cracking their heart open, like Shada, that was, a, that was making her receptive. You didn't, you didn't know these people, but my hope and prayer is that someday you're going to meet them because in the same way that you can come out here and cut a harvest in the field, someday you're going to see a spiritual harvest, and you guys have had a big part in that harvest already. And so I just want to thank you for that. Thanks for joining us again for another sermon of the GEC podcast. Connect with us at GlasgowEC.com or every Sunday morning at 10 here in Glasgow, Montana. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes because this helps us share the word with more people. See you next week.